Well, good morning, Northgate. And to all of you dads out there, happy Father's Day. And to my dad, Gordon Jensen, on our San Francisco campus, who's 91 years old, a special happy Father's Day. I'm Ken Jensen, and I was one of the pastors here before retiring about a year and a half ago. And it's great to be with you again today. Well, sorta. For you dads, I hope that on this Father's Day, you're able to somehow, in the midst of all this COVID craziness, to really get a chance to spend some time with the ones that you love. Actually, I think we're all looking forward to the day that we can get back to meeting together again. Before we get into today's message, I did want to take a few minutes to express my great appreciation to Pastor Larry for his leadership and his care for our church family. Uh, These have not been easy times, trying to navigate all the changing rules and restrictions of shelter in place while balancing the needs and concerns of our church family, not to mention the wide variety of opinions on reopening and regathering. It has been an incredibly difficult time. It kind of makes me glad I retired when I did, quite honestly. But he and Pastor Kayla, along with all of our pastoral staff, have just been doing an incredible job with great wisdom and sensitivity. And, and I'm especially grateful for their heart for unchurched people, which has really been our mission and vision from day one. So please keep them in your prayers, and you might want to write them a note of thanks and encouragement or maybe an email. I know it would really make a difference for them. So it is Father's Day, and we're in a series that some of the stories that Jesus told, the parables. They're stories using examples from everyday life that Jesus told to teach us about life in God's kingdom. And today, since it's Father's Day, I wanted to look at a parable about a father, a prodigal father. You've probably heard it called the parable of the prodigal son, but really the central figure in the story is the father. And before you object to my description of him, let me give you a definition of prodigal. Prodigal defined is wastefully or recklessly extravagant, giving lavishly, abundant and profuse. I want to read you this familiar story. And while I do, I'd like you to keep your focus on this prodigal father. Story is found in Luke's gospel, chapter 15, begins in verse 11. Jesus told it this way. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed his pigs. Now he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I'll set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squattered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. A number of years ago, when our kids were younger, I got this Father's Day gift. It's a mug and I've kept it all of these years. On the outside, it's got this writing. It says, Dad, thanks to your lectures, I never change horses in the middle of a job worth doing well. I know the squeaky wheel gets the worm, and I never count my chickens until I've walked a mile in there. <laughs> and then on the inside it says, and you thought I wasn't listening. I think every father wants the best for his kids. That's why we constantly give them all this helpful advice, whether they're paying attention to it or not. Because at the end of the day, after our kids are grown and out on their own, what we want most of all, I know what I want most of all, is that relationship. I want my kids and now my grandkids to know that I love them always, no matter what. And I want and hope that they'll love me too. And see, I believe this is the heart of the story, this wasteful, extravagant, reckless, prodigal love of our Heavenly Father. So let me give you a little context. Jesus tells this story because he's been hanging out and eating with a group of people called tax collectors and sinners. They're outsiders, the riffraff, not the kind of people that an upright, respectable, godly person would hang with. And the morally upright, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the insiders, they're shocked and they voice their disapproval. And that's why Jesus tells this story. Actually, he tells him three stories back to back to back. Now, whenever you find in scripture where God repeats himself, it's important. And when he repeats a third time, you better get it. This 15th chapter in Luke's gospel has probably had the single greatest impact on my life and my pastoral ministry because I believe in these stories, Jesus is revealing a picture of God's heart. The first story is about a lost sheep, and then the second is about a lost coin, and then this story about a lost son, and it's the most personal of the three. And the difference in this third story is that the son gets lost by his own choosing. It's because of his own bad choices that he ends up lost, and the father at least on the surface, seems to be quite an enabler. In fact, as you look at the father, he actually seems to be pretty foolish all throughout the story. There's so much in this story. It's de deep and rich with meaning. There's so many aspects to it, but today I want to focus just on the father. I'd like you to watch his actions and, and reactions. Listen to him and, and feel his heartbeat. Look at each of his sons through his eyes of relentless and reckless love. And you'll begin to understand God's reckless love for you and his love for every person you come in contact with, even the ones you don't particularly like. The story begins with the younger of the two sons making an astonishing request. Verse 12, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, even in our day, this seems like a pretty bold request, but it's not entirely unheard of. 
Children grow up and leave their home to pursue their own future all the time. It's, it's really expected. In fact, we joke about a 30-year-old who seems incapable of leaving home and supporting himself as a failure to launch. In our day, parents will sometimes help launch their grown kids with a huge financial backing. Not unusual for parents to take out a second mortgage or liquidate some of their assets to help their kids pursue a graduate degree or start their own business or maybe buy their first home. But the original hearers of this story would have been shocked at the audacity of this son. Now, in Jesus' day, according to Jewish law, an estate like this one with two heirs would be divided with the oldest son getting a double portion or two-thirds of the estate and then the younger son getting the remaining one-third. But the division of the estate would only occur when the father died. To demand the inheritance now would be the height of disrespect. It would be the equivalent of his son wishing his father dead. As Tim Keller puts it, he wants his father's things, but not his father. He loves his father's things, but not his father. For him, the relationship is a means to an end. He's enjoyed all the benefits of the relationship. Now he wants the benefits without the relationship. He wants what his father has to offer, but he wants it on his own terms. Now stop for a moment and think about that. Think about all that God has given you, not just the material provisions of your life, but all the resources of your life, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, your intellect, your emotions, your health, your relationships, your freedoms, your will. These are all gifts from God. James puts it this way. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Now ask yourself, how much do I use these things in my own pursuits? for my own self-gratification or my own comfort. Now, God gave them to you, and he gave them to you for your benefit and for your enjoyment. It's okay to enjoy them, but do it with gratitude, acknowledging your good and gracious Heavenly Father. And be generous with them because they came to you as a gift. Paul wrote to Timothy, God richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. But then he goes on to write, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous with those in need, always being ready to share. You see, that's loving the father's things while also loving the father. Well, if the son's request is shocking, the father's response kind of blows us away. He actually granted his son's request. Verse 13 says he divided his property between them. Here's where we learn something about God's reckless, extravagant love. God does not withhold his love from you even when you withhold your love from him. Now, the typical expected response to such a demand would have been to drive that son out of the family with a good beating and a well-placed kick in the pants. Or, as they say, don't let the door hit you in the fanny on the way out. But the father actually divides his property and gives him his share. The Greek word that is translated here for property is bios. It means life, his life. See, the wealth of the father would likely be in real estate, his land, which would require liquidating of his assets, selling his property to be able to give it to his son. And to lose part of your land would be to lose part of yourself. And with it, your esteem, your influence, your standing in the community, your honor and your dignity. The younger son is actually asking his father to tear his life apart. And he does it for the love of his son. And that's what probably hurts the most, that his love is rejected. 
See, the father knows he can't keep his son at home and he can't make his son love him. That's just the nature of love. But that doesn't mean he'll stop loving his son, even if that love is rejected. And if his son is going to go out and leave and he's going to do all that he can to set him up for success. So the son packs it all up, heads out on his own and makes an absolute mess of it. He squandered it all in that far country until he hits rock bottom feeding pigs. Now, for a Jew, to have anything to do with pigs is bad enough, but to be feeding them and then be hungry enough to eat the food they're given is even worse. You just can't get any lower. But it's there in the pigsty, Jesus says, he came to his senses. A literal translation would be, he came to himself. He saw himself as he really was. He got honest with himself, but he also recognized this is not who he was supposed to be. And he decides... Well, if I'm going to have to work for someone, I might as well be working for my father because at least his guys get a decent meal every day. He knows enough about his father that he's a decent man. And he knows enough about his father's love that he believes it's at least worth giving it a try. He's blown it big time. He has no right to expect anything, but maybe, just maybe, he can earn his way back. And in fact, that's his plan. You see it as he prepares his speech. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. His plan is to make restitution, to work off the debt, to earn his way back and maybe find acceptance once again. And here's when we learn something else about God's reckless love. that God's love can forgive and restore for any and every transgression. See, he knows something about his father's love but he doesn't know the half of it. And as Jesus tells the story, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. At the very first indication of his returning, the father runs. The son doesn't have to make it all the way back. And the father doesn't hesitate. He doesn't require him to clean up first. He doesn't set up any restrictions or stipulations. There's no groveling. There's no begging. He picks up the hem of his robe, bears his legs, and runs to him. Now again, that would look pretty foolish and definitely undignified for an old man to run down a path like a little kid in full display of his emotions, hugging and kissing and crying. He won't even let him finish his prepared speech of repentance. Before he gets to the part about, make me like one of your hired servants, the father interrupts and says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. He's found. Fully embraced. Fully forgiven. Fully restored. Nothing held back. You see, it's not the repentance that earns his father's love. It's his father's love that makes repentance even possible even easy. Now back up for a minute. Why does he run? Well, by now the whole village probably knows the story. The gossip and rumor mill have been churning, I'm sure. You know how it can be in a small town. Everybody seems to know everybody else's business. In a village in Jesus' day was often just extended family. And to have rejected the father would have been to reject the family and in turn to reject the whole village. And I believe the father's thinking, What if someone gets to him first? What if someone sees him and stops him before he gets into the city entrance? What if his older brother gets there before I can? 
The father isn't taking any chances. His son has returned and he's going to be the first to meet him. His son is back and he, he wants everybody to know it. He pulls out all the stops. He butchers the fattened calf, the one that's been saved for a special occasion, and he throws the biggest party this village has ever seen. It's a public celebration. And there'll be no more whispers behind the back, no gossip, no rumors, no shaming or shunning is going to be allowed. It's time to party, and it's going to be a great party. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. When he finds out the older brother is irate, he refuses to join the party. He sits outside in his own little pity party. He's disgusted with his brother and he's disgusted with his father. And this is a public display of his disgust. Believe me. If the father has thrown this huge party and everyone is there, it doesn't take long for everyone to realize who's not there. And here we learn one more about this reckless love of the father. Once again, he abandons all dignity and self-respect. It actually kind of makes you feel sorry for the guy. I mean, he just can't win. Whatever he does, somebody's not going to be happy. But here's what we learn about God's love. That God's love won't abandon us even to our own pride and self-righteousness. So the father went out and pleaded with him. Now, what's interesting to me here is that the word that's translated pleaded is actually the Greek word parakaleo. It's the very same word that's used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It means literally to come alongside, to counsel, direct, and guide, to prompt, and to urge. See, the father doesn't come out to scold and berate his son, but to appeal to him, to urge him to join the party for his own good. You see, the older son was just as lost as his younger brother. Though he'd never left home physically, his heart was just as far away from the father that his brothers had been. And just like the younger brother, he loves his father's things, but doesn't really love the father either. You see it in his response. All these years, he says, I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. He's joy enjoyed all his father had to offer, but also on his own terms. And his terms are his obedience. That's earned him something, and now his father owes him. And he's particularly upset that his father would not only forgive the younger son, but that he would so lavishly spend the best that he had, this fattened up calf, on a welcome home party that his brother doesn't even deserve. I mean, if anybody deserves a party, it was him for his slavish obedience. So what about us? What about me? What about you? Have you ever complained to God that he just wasn't fair? That your life should be working out better because after all, God, look all that I've done for you. Look how much I've sacrificed and given up to follow you. Honestly, I know I have felt that way at times. Have you ever gone to God in prayer and felt like you kind of had to make your case to convince him how deserving you were for him to answer your prayer? Have you ever gotten upset because the wrong people seem to be getting further ahead than you, even though you play by the rules? We might suffer from what could be called the older brother syndrome. The irony is, while the younger son comes home willing to be made a slave, the older son believes he already is. Neither of them understand who they really were, but the father does. 
And he loves them both, even with all their flaws. So the father won't leave him out there in the cold. He goes out and he begs his older son to come to the party. Why does he go and beg? Because he loves him. And love is costly. I recently read that it's been estimated that the cost of raising a child in America to the age of 18 these days is over $233,000. And that doesn't include the cost of college. But the cost of parenting is much greater than that. Every father, every parent for that matter, has experienced on some level the true high cost of loving their children. And most every son and daughter has no idea, nor do they appreciate the sacrifices their father and mother have made for them until maybe they become parents themselves. You see, love is costly. Forgiveness is costly. Reconciliation is costly. Celebration is costly. Rejection is costly too. And I think the thing that Jesus wants us to understand about God is that our Heavenly Father is willing to pay any price and He doesn't require repayment. In fact, none of us could ever repay Him. He welcomes us and He celebrates us as we return to Him. And He also pleads that we would celebrate with Him. With every action, this father seems foolish. His love seems foolish. Why does he agree to his son's wishes in the first place? Why does he liquidate his assets to satisfy his son's pride and selfishness? He probably had a pretty good idea of his son's personality and his inability to manage his own money. He should have known that all of this hard-earned money was going to be squandered. And yet he does it. And why does he run out to meet his son when he returns and then spend so lavishly on a huge party? You don't reward bad behavior. And how about the older brother? If he doesn't want to join the party, isn't that his problem? I mean, get over it. Why bother trying to explain your actions and trying to reason with him? Why put up with his rudeness and disgust? Because that's what love does. It's the only reason, only explanation I can think of. For the father, the only thing that matters, the only thing that he really seems to care about is the relationships. His relationship with his sons and their relationship with each other. I believe God's desire is that we would have his heart, like father, like son, like father, like daughter, to extend his love to a broken and hurting world, starting with our own families, our own communities. See, the father's greatest desire was for his sons to be with him, to work together, to continue to pool their resources for the work that needed to be done. And he wanted them to love each other and to celebrate with each other. God's desire is that you and I, that we would have his heart and extend his grace to each other and to our world. 30 years ago, we started this church with a vision to be a family that welcomes younger brothers. That we would, as best we could, demonstrate the love of our Heavenly Father to everyone. That we would do everything we could to not become a church of older brothers. And I've learned how hard it is to keep a church from becoming older brothers who put their own wants and their own needs ahead of those who are still lost. In fact, in my years of pastoral ministry, I've been amazed at how quickly younger brothers can become older brothers. But here's the God loves younger brothers who reject his love and make a mess of their lives. And God loves older brothers who think that their good behavior is why he loves them, even as they look down on their younger brothers. See, it's that kind of love that will transform our families and our communities and our world. We say it around here all the time. 
There is no one so lost that they cannot be found. There is no one so broken that they cannot be mended. And there's no one so dead that God cannot resurrect them. Our theology comes right from this story. But the story leaves us with some unanswered questions. It doesn't end with a, and they all lived happily ever after. Did the younger son really learn his lesson? What if he breaks his father's heart again? How did he behave after the party was over? Did the older brother even go into the party? Will these two brothers reconcile with each other? Or will there be left over resentment, bitterness, mistrust, or shame? Jesus deliberately left the story unfinished. He left it for each of us to finish for ourselves. Because the truth is, there's a bit of younger brother and older brother in each of us. There are times that we continue to rebel and do what we want on our own way and on our own terms. I know I have to keep coming back and asking his forgiveness. And I can also be a bit judgmental at times or resentful when someone else less deserving, in my opinion, benefits over me. I can sometimes feel slighted or cheated by God when all of my efforts to live and serve him don't seem to get recognized or rewarded. And honestly, there's been times when I just wanted to shout, but God, that's not fair. See, there's a lot of unanswered questions about this story in my own life. How will I respond? How will you? How do I now live out the life and love and grace that God has shown to me? How do I extend it to those around me? Lots of questions that each of us have to answer on a daily basis. But here's the thing we can be sure of, that in the middle of all those unanswered questions, our Heavenly Father will always lavish His extravagant, reckless, prodigal love on us. He will never hold His love back, no matter what, no matter how many bad decisions, epic failures, or outright rebellion. And He will always welcome us back without groveling and without shame. I only need to acknowledge my sin, my pride, and my self-centeredness. He won't give up on me, and I can learn from him to be gracious with others. Because ultimately, this story isn't just about who gets into the party. It's about how we live with the Father and with each other once the welcome party's over. Will we continue to live in his grace under his loving authority? And will we be gracious and accepting and forgiving of each other? God sent his only son, Jesus, our true older brother, to come seek us out and bring us back home. In a moment, we're going to close with a song about our good, good father. But this morning, whether you're that younger brother in the far country or the older brother still trying to earn God's love by your good behavior and harboring feelings of superiority, his invitation is the same. His urging to you is the same. Come home. Join the party. Your heavenly father loves you.